Direct this time for Diego Rossi. Has Vela in the middle? Oh, what a goal! Rossi to Vela as we have seen so many times. LAFC strikes back. It's 1-1. Good people of Los Angeles, welcome back to another episode of the Season Pass Podcast. My name is Alex Dewey, coming at you live from Yokohama, Japan at 6.40 a.m. on July 23rd. It's July 22nd where Pierce Maher is. That's Los Angeles, California on another sunny California afternoon. We also... In the dead of night, have Ryan Wallerson in Copenhagen. 20 minutes left on his July 22nd experience before it rotates to July 23rd, which will happen during the course of our usual quaint 30-minute podcast. Wally, Pierce, how are you guys? I've said that I'm going to be going by Dr. Midnight for the duration (laughs) of the summer. I think it just works way too well since it literally happens during the recording of all of these podcasts. So you don't have to refer me. You don't have to refer to me as Doctor Midnight every time, but uh, you know. I know. I think you know what. I think we're gonna sprinkle them in, especially as we get closer to the time. I but, mean, if, uh, if Pierce has Coach Pierce and PO the Pod, there's no reason you can't have Wally and Doctor Midnight. I love it. I love it. it. It makes me feel better about the whole thing because, uh, yeah, no, this the three time zone, three continental podcast that we're running, it takes a toll. But I love it. I love that I'm a part of it. I love that it exists and I'll be able to look back on it fondly. But you know, I- we should do, you know, I think we should uh, for the next episode, we should just completely not talk anything about the games or we'll talk about it for about five minutes and then the rest of the time we'll just talk about what it feels like to be in three different time zones at once and feel your you know the time space continuum ripping on your mind while you're trying to chat with your friends that you usually chat with in the backyard it's we're so far away from each other (laughs) (laughs) oh boys we've got uh you know a total of four games to talk about two to look back on two to look forward to and they were both 2-1 games, This these last pair. Uh, it was RSL at home, 2-1 in LAFC's favor. Then it was Portland uh, about 24 hours ago, 2-1 in the Timbers' favor. And we will take a look at Vancouver and Minnesota, who are the next two opponents, both of whom will be coming to the bank in what is a three-game home stretch. But let's walk through uh, this RSL victory and this Portland loss first. 
the RSL victory came after what was the second highest, I believe, amount of shots created in LAFC's history following a 31-shot um, generation back in 2019. I think it was against Vancouver. And this game was 29 shots for LAFC. I mean, it was outrageous. It was an outrageous viewing experience. And you did get the sense in this where you were like, wait, are we going to like, are we not going to score the second goal? Because after the penalty save, obviously Carlos stepped up, couldn't get it past uh, the RSL goalkeeper, whose name is Ochoa, um, who, who had a fantastic game and is often referred to as sort of the next shining star in the U.S. national team tradition of creating great goalkeepers. But yeah, it was a 29-shot game and they actually came away with the victory they, uh, Carlos did score it was a worldie and that was that Korea Mexico connection boys that's what I saw in the game what did you see Pierce let's start with you I believe you were at this one yes it was um, it was really nice to see LAFC go back to dominating possession once again I know that in the, la- in the last run of wins uh, there'd been and you know last run of games there'd been uh, more of a defensive effort due to the lack of possession. And, you know, to see that switch get flipped completely upside down was, was a pleasure to see. Also, the uh, what I've been asking for, seeing, seeing clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities was really nice. Um, now they just got to convert them. <laughs> really, we're just getting, uh, you know, we're, the build-up play is good. The pace has increased since the beginning of the season. Um, you know, now they've really just got to get the right final touch correct. And uh, once that starts happening, we're going to be good. We're going to be fine. But I'm really happy to see over the course of the two games, last two games, how uh, they've played really well. I've been really happy. Um, you know, the goals against are, are coming off of either transitions or dead ball situations where it's just a lack of focus or a lack of concentration um or discipline that can very easily be fixed and i i almost feel like uh you know the loss last night is almost even a uh a good thing <laughs> i know i know most fans won't like hearing that but um it will avoid anyone getting comfortable after three wins in a row and will get everyone zeroed back in and, and dialed back in to make sure that you know, from the first whistle to the last, we are ready. Because I'd say outside of the last minute, you know, and these are one play moments where we're we're getting scored on and it's, you know, easily fixable. But it, it takes a lot of focus and work for 90 minutes plus to, to make sure that, you know, we don't we don't step on the nail, the only nail on the floor, so to speak. Stepping on the only nail of the floor. That's that's a nice catchphrase, and I want to put it on the T-shirt and try to sell that as the first season pass T-shirt. Ryan, let's talk about Salt Lake first, because I feel like this was the game, as Pierce alluded to, where we saw flashes of the 2019 team, and yet we also saw like such a stalwart defensive performance that we hadn't seen in 2019 and you say to yourself as an LAFC fan follower supporter 
wait a second, are you telling me that I can have both? I can have the the glory of the LAFC attack in 2019 and the defensive stability that I've seen in, in traces in 2021. Um, and I'm sure Ryan also has a excellent catchphrase to describe what I under under described as a pretty incredible goal on behalf of Carlos Vela and Kim Moon Juan. Take it away, Wally. Well, no, the game at the bank against Real Salt Lake was a game that featured two absolutely beautiful goals. I think the commentary called it champagne football, which is a phrase that we got really used to uh, around LAFC's field in uh, 2019. But I would say between 2020 and 2021, wouldn't be used to commonly describe their play. It's been a little bit more scrappy, more eff- more 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 effort, a lot more effort going into everything that they do. The domination didn't quite hasn't quite come as easily as it did in 2019. But in this game, you know, all of the chances created, the chances that never developed for Ralph Salt Lake. You did see flashes of it, although I would say if you were truly getting the best of the 2019 vibes combined with the 2021, they'd have probably put a couple more of those chances in, won the game 4-1, you know, established the dominance that you see in the stat line in the final score. That was something that that 2019 team was really good at. Once they got that first goal, they would, they would just like a boulder rolling downhill. And more times than not, even if the goals came at the end of the match to kind of distort what, was the true storyline of the game with the with the you know a three nothing a four one stat line? They would find those goals and it would just remind you like oh no this wasn't a close game at least you know not when it comes down to the individual moments and opportunities that each offense has had and you know the two goals were beautiful they had opportunities both in the open play and from the spot to up the tally and weren't able to do so so. In that sense, you're still kind of getting some of that, you know, even with this crazy, gaudy uh, shot differential between LAFC and RSL, it's it's still, you know, a 1-1 game late. It's still just a, a one-goal margin even after Vela scores the second. Um, so in that right, not quite 2019 for me, but very close to it. But definitely on the defensive side, I mean, we talked about it on the last pod, the possibility of mixing that offensive prowess with the with the defensive effort and consistency that we've been seeing this season and what a beautiful thing that would be. You know, I, you did see it in flashes, but I'd still like to see them be a little bit more clinical with their finishing. I love the fact that the chances are being created, and we love the fact that Rossi and Vela are both trending in the right direction as they spend more time in game situations. But I still want to see more from the collective offense when it comes to now we're we're creating the chances and that's what we asked for now that we're creating chances i want to see us be more clinical with finishing and you know that that's it's a process getting to that getting to that 2019 point and you have to create the chances in order to be able to finish with consistency so they are trending in the right direction on offense you know even with the setback and the portland loss because I thought that that was, you know, just really, really excellent goalkeeper play on both sides. There were some tremendous saves in that Portland match. And, you know, at the end of the day, the scoreline comes down against LAFC, but they could have easily had, you know, three. They, they created the chances again. And once again, you know, I wanted to be 
clinical and I want the attempts to be attempts that even a goalkeeper, a good goalkeeper on his best day can't get to because this team is capable of that. But the attempts that they put on, on Portland were legitimate. They were definitely viable goals. I just thought that the goalkeeper stood on his head a couple of times to keep them out. And Romero did as well, just, you know, not at the very end. Uh, as Bob said, the positioning wasn't quite up to par. The, the attention to detail and execution wasn't quite there in the final minutes. It, I saw a bit of complacency uh, escaping Portland with a point and, you know, Portland has taught LAFC and many other teams around the league multiple times that you cannot do that against them, especially not in that building. And that's a building that re- I'll remind everyone LAFC helped and helped rechristen when they reopened it uh, by defeating the Timbers. So going into this one, I mean, in addition to the fact that they were coming off three straight victories, two of which were away, I think a lot of black and gold faithful were optimistic that the train was going to kind of keep rolling um, but let's dive in a little bit further, a little bit deeper to this one before we get into to team news and looking ahead. The biggest glaring difference uh, I saw, as many have noted, was that Mario was on a two-game or a two a, a multiple yellow card suspension, so he wasn't going to be in this one. And he's a player, I believe, who's played every minute thus far for LAFC, and. Along with him, Edward Atuesta in the post game, Bob mentioned that he had a little bit of a muscle, uh, a, a little bit of a muscle issue. And in addition to that, it's obviously just the time of year where you have to rotate more. So you don't have Atuesta, you don't have Mario. Part of that Colombian spine, as it's been called, uh, was missing. And in their place, you had Janela and Tristan Blackman. Uh, on top of both of those things, you had Marco Farfan coming back to have a very emotional game. He had twenty something tickets according to the commentators that he had requested for friends and family there in his hometown to come watch him face his old club. And he came right out after the game and said, I screwed up on the first goal. Uh, He used a different word than screw up. And, you know, he let Diego Valeri sort of have his way at the back post. Um, And then, you know, at different points, I think in this game, he struggled and it was interesting to watch him sort of own that one of the questions in the post game kind of pushed back against that about like how hard it would be to defend, you know, when your attackers can't finish. And he's like, no, this game would have been different had we not conceded in the second minute or what have you. So I think that there's a bit of maturity there in taking ownership over, you know, what he felt wasn't good enough. And then Bob, of course, looking at the last final minute of the game, which so much reminded me of that San Jose game at LAFC last September where they scored in like the 93rd minute and they ended up losing the game. I mean, LAFC has a history of conceding early, really early and conceding really late. And it happened on both sides in this one. And Bob sort of mentioned we had guys falling asleep. We had guys falling asleep at the wheel. Um, in particular, he highlighted Raheem Edwards and Bryce Duke, who were extremely close to where the throw-in was taking place and didn't even bother to pressure uh, Sebastian Blanca, who was coming fresh off of his major injury and was able to deliver an excellent ball in. And, and he also highlighted Eddie Segura. Maybe he lets him get over a little too fast. But um, guys, can we just like zeroing in on like this huge issue and listening to what everyone said, you know, Pierce mentioned it, it might be a good thing that uh, they, they experienced this, especially because it was sort of down to these mental lapses. 
But uh, Ryan, is there anything you specifically noticed about the nature of these two goals and whether or not it spells a troublesome or a, uh, a trend to learn from, if we can call it that? Uh, well, I did note that they were both off of uh, def- uh, header- headers, headed attempts where, you know, a, a cross hits the head of an offensive player that was able to beat an LAFC defender to the spot or to the ball. Um, I'm not crazy about that in terms of trending. I guess I, I suppose it comes down to will and execution, kind of a combination of the two. Um, and that, that that's kind of from an individual thing because it wasn't the same defender both times. Obviously, they're missing Murillo in the middle. Um, Atuesta is one of their best defensive players on any level, so you assume that his positioning perhaps on that, especially on that final play, perhaps could have changed the course of events. I don't want to beat them up too much for, you know, what was an an instance. Like football is a game of moments, but that was just a bad moment. And I don't want it to take away from what up until that point was a hard fought, scrappy one, one looked like it was headed for a draw. And I think that we, even if it breaks the three game winning streak, you're happy with that on the road. Uh, you just don't like the way it ended. And so I want to say that it's something that, you know, the tape will reveal Bob's harsh words and training will, uh, will remedy quickly. It, I don't, I won't go as far as calling it a good thing, but I do think that it's a very easily policed thing that, uh, that, that, that ailed them in Portland. And so I expect them to, you know, come out and from first whistle to last, and especially in the aftermath of the first whistle and the buildup to the last, uh, you know, play with play more attentively than they did in that Portland match because five minutes cost three minutes cost them the entire match. Yep. Pierce, uh, after in the post game, Bob also got to go on a, a rant about one of my favorite things, the playing surface in Portland and the turf there, uh, Bob in the history of me and Ryan talking to Bob, I'm sure that both of us have memories of st- discussions about Seattle stadium discussions about, uh, Portland stadium and as well as, you know, teams like Atlanta who all, are all playing on artificial s- surfaces. I-, I thought that was a great, Thing. And, and I think I want to do our part to mention that as players and as people who've talked to as as people who've played the game, as people who've talked to players, it is a genuine fact that everyone prefers real grass. Uh, all the better if it's wet. Now there are teams around the world. I mean, the likes of uh, I think the Burnleys in the Premier League who deliberately leave the grass longer, so you know the the Manchester cities of the world can't run through them. So there's there's a discussion to be had about like how you know certain types of teams use use their playing surface as tactics to slow down quick moving beautiful football playing teams. However, I would like to reiterate Bob's point, and it is an issue, and players do talk about it, and um, it would be great one day to see MLS on on all natural surfaces. However. Apart from that, Bob also mentioned the inability for them to close out the game. You know, you make this mistake at the beginning, Pierce, and then you make this mistake at the end. In the middle, there's chances that they can't put in again, which is the through line of the season if there ever were one. Um, Now you had Brian come on. You had Bryce get into the game, Marco Farfan, and... uh, I'm sorry, Kim Moon-Hwan, and you had Chiki Palacios on the other wing getting forward, you know, making a difference as they have been, and Raheem Edwards gets in there. Like, what 
you know, is LAFC missing a player? Is it just another, Hey, maybe, maybe we just got to, got to keep going in the same way. Like, is there anything you would be wanting to, to see from the players or would you imagine might be going through Bob's head to tell them in order to get that second goal to finish off teams earlier on or at some point before the 93rd minute when you let the other team concede? For me, it just comes down to execution. They got the chances. They just didn't finish them. And uh, like you just said, that's kind of been the story of the year, Uh, being a team that's, you know, gone many games over three goals a game. I think this year, or at least uh, I heard a stat that spent almost 20-plus games with, uh, with only two goals. So that's not a good that's not a good look um, as far as you know getting into the middle of the season now that there needs to be a breakthrough. I think once the breakthrough happens, we'll be fine. Um, but you know the again, what's most important is the style of play and the opportunities created being clear cut goal scoring chances and we saw that um, you know. We even had a couple offside opportunities, you know, if, you know, they stay a hair on, changes the game, you know, or, or even, uh, you know, one of those one-on-ones with the goalkeeper, one of those goes in and isn't safe, changes the game. So um, for me, it's, you know, I, I'm not someone who goes, you need to bring in a new player to fix the way we play. No, you just need to execute. The players are there. They're plenty good enough. Um, you know, I, there's rumors of support coming, you know, I'm not going to speculate about any of that. That's exciting to hear. But again, I'm more concerned with who's out there now uh, and, and the trajectory of their development uh, throughout the course of the season. And, you know, it's the guys that are getting the chances are, are Bella and, and are even more so Rossi. So, you know, once, uh, once we're able to get two or three a game, or, and, and when we score in the first 30-minute segment, it's good. We all we usually play well once we've scored in that first 30-minute segment. It's when we don't get one in the second and we keep teams in the game going into that third, last 30 minutes that we find ourselves in trouble. And uh, I really believe that once LAFC gets on the front foot in the, in the score sheet, and if they can score two goals in the first hour, usually they're going to win. Um, especially with with how strong they've been at the back this year. And they sure have been strong at the back. And I'd like to add that in addition to the 20 games it's been since they scored three goals, shout out to Scott French, the boy Scotty, bringing up that stat, which you have to look all the way back uh, to Seattle Sounders in October of last year. Uh, when they when LAFC won three one, they also haven't conceded three goals for sixteen games, which dates all the way back to San Jose away uh, in November of last year. So, so you know, on both sides of the ball, there's just been less fewer goals uh, this season, and yet you're about to face an opponent here in Vancouver, which you've had success scoring many goals against in the past. I believe last season in one of two meetings, they scored six goals against Vancouver. Uh, it was a six nil victory. It was one of those really absurd games. And um, Vancouver 
is a team they found success against in the past. Uh, obviously, Mark Dos Santos, an old LAFC assistant, I, uh, remains the coach of Vancouver last time I checked. <laughs> and, you know, he'll know how to, how to go against this team. But this team's changing, and that's, that's something I want to talk a little bit about looking ahead to these two matches. It's Vancouver at home, it's Minnesota at home in midweek, and then it's Sporting Kansas City at home. It's a three-game home stretch. Uh, and after the Vancouver and Minnesota game, the two games we're previewing, or I'm sorry, after all three of the games, it will be the halfway season, uh, halfway point of the season exactly. So looking at these three as a trio, um, we'll, we'll obviously be back to preview Sporting Kansas City and their away trip to San Jose before that. But uh, they've moved to a 3-5-3, Pierce. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? This is a team that yes. has always been 4-4-2. You're a man who loves his tactics. Tell me about the 3-5-3 three, three and, um, and how it's been working for LAFC. Well, it, it's something that, you know, you see trending in world football a lot. Um, and, you know, Chelsea's been one of the ones that's used it very successfully in the, in the past season. But I love it, mainly because in the 4-3-3, we lack width. Um, and now, uh, it, with the current personnel that Bob's putting in those wide spaces, it's looked really great. If you look at the RSL game, the two bright shining spots for me were uh, in the first half, Kim Moon and in the second half, uh, Raheem Edwards, who, um, you know, for me, I was always a little confused about, you know, him playing higher up the field. I think he's much better in 1v1 situations and out wide. And, um, Really happy to see his aggressive play. And, you know, he he was – there was a 20-minute spell there in the beginning of the second half where he's by far the most dangerous player on the field. Um, so that was really exciting to see. And I think, you know, at the beginning of the season, I was kind of harping on the fact that I didn't feel LFC was wide enough in their build-up play. And so now having guys that run up and down the flanks, yes, it's a lot of work and there's only a certain number of players you can put there that are going to put in the effort. Um, but the, the guys he's put out there have really done the job. I was really surprised in, uh, in the Portland game, though, for him to sub uh, Kim Moon and put Corey Baird back there. I know Corey Baird's, you know, in the first couple of games, he, he did show a good high work rate um, playing the front or the middle uh, of the front three in the 4-3-3. I'd like to see him more there just to, to see how comfortable he is. But, you know, that was a surprise for me. I wouldn't have thought uh, of putting him out there. I would have kept him probably further up the field. Um, the amount of time he had in, not sure how I felt about it. It was very, uh, you know, we'll see. But I, I still think, you know, the the two I really like seeing out there, or the three I really like seeing out in those wide places are, are uh, Kim Moon-Wan, um, Diego Palacios and and Raheem Edwards has has really kind of come in and, and shown that he can be, you know, one of the guys that rotates in that wide spot. And I'd say um, that Bob's probably looking for one more that, that he can throw out there. But um, as far as that impacts the defense, you just have to have three really intelligent guys on the back line um, with good chemistry and good understanding. And you kind of saw a growing pain of that in the RSL goal. Um, it was off a corner kick for LAFC and, you know, RSL cleared the ball 
And if you look at where the furthest or the closest or the last defender was, he was in the final third. I think Kim Wan was the deepest player closest to Romero, and he's maybe eight yards outside the 18. And so in that transition, you've either got a foul or, or you've got to get back. And if you look at the three guys that are playing on the back line, as soon as the ball's cleared, there wasn't a sprint back. Uh, and the, the, the guys you saw sprinting back were the ones that were already back, or it was Raheem Edwards and Kim Wan were the two sprinting back. You saw Eddie and, and uh, Murray a little out of place. And, and by the time uh, RSL connected two passes, they were in the LAFC half. So, you know, I, I think those moments need to be worked on a little more. Or maybe Kim and whoever else sits back need to sit deeper. Um, or, or there's got to be an immediate foul to stop the, uh, to stop the transition. Um but yeah, I, I think in time, uh, what I've seen from the back three with, uh, I think it's mainly been Farfan, Murray, and Segura. Excellent. For for how, I mean, I don't know how much they train it in practice. I'm sure ever since they made the transition, it's a lot. But um, to go from the 4-3-3 and then three in the back line, I've been really happy and satisfied so far. The biggest thing will be... Uh, as their legs tire at the end of games, can they continue to shift? Because you're going to shift a lot more with a back three than than a back four. And as you saw in the first goal with Portland, um, you know Farfan just caught got caught a little bit ball watching and probably misread the ball, which is really just hard luck. Um, you know, if he doesn't jump and he stays on his feet and just tracks the ball, I think I don't think they score there. So I love that he took credit for the for the mistake, but it's it's just hard luck sometimes this is why we bring coach Pio on the pod guys he breaks down the tactics he tells you what it is he identifies the individual moments that could have been better uh i also should note real quick that i think i said raheem sterling earlier on this episode i don't know there's only so many raheems that play in world football i apologize to raheem edwards and those listening who are like wait did we sign raheem sterling from manchester city which i know ryan would have loved uh Ryan, everyone's looking at this tactical change, and when you see it on a team sheet, it looks like a 5-3-2, but I really want to hear, as you've watched the game, the games of LAFC as long as I have, um, and looking ahead here to Van- Vancouver and Minnesota, it's kind of interesting. LAFC goes Vancouver, Minnesota, SKC, so the opponents sort of get more difficult um, as they go, so they have every, every chance in the world to go on another winning streak here and, and get back into it after this Portland setback. But Ryan, have you noticed anything about the tactics that you've enjoyed seeing? We've known for a long time that Bob has wanted these fast players on the wings. Pierce brought up Cheeky and uh, and Kim Moon-Wan specifically. And now we're seeing some of that go on. And we saw that in Portland too. Um, are there things about this formation that are exciting you? And anything else that you'd, you'd highlight about the team going into these these two home games? Advantages of the 3-5-2 are such that it allows for dynamic play in the middle. I love that. It allows for wider play through the middle. I love that. And it also it allows for LAFC to kind of play the way that the game dictates uh, in terms of passing and possession. When you talk about this year and the things that we've seen from the team that have been interesting and unique, the the streak that they went on earlier, not too long ago, but earlier in the season where 
they went three straight games being outpossessed, but won two of them. Like the three five two. I love seeing them get away from this. You know, Bob was a little rigid in how he wanted to play this team the first couple of seasons. And in you know, he caught some crap for it whenever uh whenever they didn't come out on the right side of an important result. Uh loyalty, we'll call it, to a specific formation and a specific style of play kind of left LAFC on the heels and trying to react whenever they weren't finding the success that they wanted with that specific style. They didn't kind of have a counter or something else to fall back, a different style of play to fall back to. You know, now they do. They're developing, they're taking advantage of the fact that the roster is, you know, continuing to develop and mature and kind of streamline in, in, into being the exact collection of players that Bob wants. But also you're just seeing him, I think, be a little bit more open to using what he has in the best way. And that's not always, you know, the traditional 4-4-2, the gotta win the possession battle, gotta win the passing battle, champagne football-esque, you know, 2019 style that LAFC enjoyed and dominated with. But when things aren't always going that way, it's nice to be able to see them say, all right, you know, the halftime uh, adjustments are even more dangerous now because if they didn't find success in the first, they can go in and say, we're focusing too much on this. I know this is normally what we try to do, but I'm seeing that maybe we can take an opportunity, you know, absorbing pressure and then striking quickly on the counterattack, which is going to lose you the possession battle eight times out of 10. But if they're comfortable playing that way, when they get into situations where it can be an advantage to, to change the playing style, I think it's an advantage for the club and, you know, playing a different formation. And as you say, Dweez, they have, it's kind of an uptick in the cal caliber of challenger over the next couple of weeks. So they have time, I wouldn't say experimenting with different formations, but certainly they have a little bit more leeway and liberty to to employ some of these newer and in more interesting ideas before they, you know, are playing the sporting Kansas cities of, of the league. So I, I think it's just the variety. I'm, I'm seeing it on multiple levels and I, it makes me a lot more comfortable with the team going into any matchup because again, you know, everything is gravy when you're playing your style and having success with it. But when you need to adjust or you need a different look, I think that that's something that LAFC has really struggled with in the past, but you know, I, I would. I'm I'm much more hard pressed to give them that that specific flavor of criticism this season. We're talking gravy. We're talking flavors. We're talking all sorts of beautiful football ideas and tasty delights of the world. We're out here eating delicious gyoza. Ryan is eating great Danish bakeries. I, I want to just say real quick that I went to a, a glorious Danish-inspired bakery in Hiroshima, and I can't stop thinking about the pastries that Ryan is probably enjoying right now. Is probably enjoying right now. I've been misspeaking all pod. I'm saying Ryan are enjoying. I've been mispronouncing things. Ryan's going to help us clean it up. But guys, that's it for another episode of the Season Pass Podcast. This Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. at Bank of California Stadium. Black and Gold take on Vancouver. And then on Wednesday, in the same time, same place, it will be Minnesota United. They call them the loons. 
but they might be called something else after this one. I don't know. I don't know. I feel goofy today. I feel goofy. I hope wherever you are, you feel goofy. You feel like you've got a happy footballing belly. Uh, the Olympics are underway. The Gold Cup is still underway. There's still international football to be had as we get into the business end of the MLS season. Season Pass Podcast for Pierce Maher, Ryan Wallerson. Next stop, Whitecaps. Vancouver, Whitecaps. The next stop is Expo, Vermont Station. Please stay.